I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. 
Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, the entire musical ensemble, all the people's nations' languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. According, um, accordingly, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews, though, whom you have appointed over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in, so that brought, they brought those men before the king, and Nebi said to them, It is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up. Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lair, dragon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom you serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebi was so filled with rage against them that his face was distorted and he ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. And so the men were bound and still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then the king Nebi was astonished and rose up quickly and he said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into that fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of some god. Nebi then approached the door of the furnace, blazing, and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out of here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the, I'm not reading all those again, <laughs> gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebi said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, language, that utters blasphemy against the God of these people shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. 
Yeah, that's a lot of words. <laughs> and a lot of repetition. <laughs> but a really good story. How many of you have heard that story before? Okay. How many of you are still, still sitting like, recovering from it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I hate to bring this up. I hate to bring it up, but um, y'all, this mermaid thing, this little mermaid thing, you know what I'm talking about? This little mermaid thing. If you haven't, apparently there's a movie coming out, um, a live action movie uh, of Little Mermaid, and the best casted Ariel is a beautiful black woman. If y'all heard about this controversy related to this, um, yeah, people are screaming at one another, screaming at one another. And it reminded me of another controversy a couple of years back, I think maybe like three or four years back during the Christmas season, um, Starbucks. You remember the Starbucks controversy? Starbucks, if you, have, if you don't remember that, that one, Starbucks during the holiday season makes a red cup. And in past years, on this red cup, there have been nativity images, like the outline of one, or snowflakes, or um, Christmas trees. Not in anything particularly Christmas, but there have been some images on this red cup, and a few years ago, the cup was just red. Just red. It's a plain old red cup. And some Christians, not all of them, but some went totally ballistic over this red cup. And they said that Starbucks is going to kill Christmas. They said that you should boycott Starbucks. Or they said that you should, you know, go into a store and say your name is Merry Christmas so that the barista in the store, when your order comes ready, has to yell out the words Merry Christmas. And then as you are always meant to do, you know, a different set of Christians on the other side of the debate, um, went ballistic on the ones that went ballistic, and I tend to be friends with those people more on Facebook, so those are the ones I saw, uh, might be one of those people. Um, and I, op I, so I open up my Facebook page, and people are just reacting with like the fury of a thousand suns over this single red cup. And they're saying, if you're so worried about a Starbucks cup, what you need to do is think more about the homeless and the poor. Those are my people on my feed. And do you ever, if you ever just stop and think, I cannot believe we are arguing about this, this. I cannot believe we are arguing about this, this, like a red cup. <coughs> but fights tell us a few things about ourselves. If we're willing to look at what's bubbling under the surface. I remember someone telling me that anger is really just fear and sadness that is masked. And so, what is this particular fight about? What, what about this particular fight over cups and the art on cups? What can we learn from this? What is it about cups that makes us sad or afraid even? What is it about classic fairy tale characters looking a bit different that originally, than originally portrayed that makes us sad or afraid or fearful? My guess is that those who want images on Christmas cups are afraid that Christianity is losing its place and its prominence in the world. 
Maybe they're sad because it seems like Jesus is fading into the background of the world and that it's people of faith who are responsible for bringing him back and lifting him up and placing King Jesus back on the throne again. And I think that for the other side of the debate, people are afraid of what it looks like to the rest of the world when we argue about cups. And maybe they're sad because it seems that maybe Jesus is fading into the background. Maybe Jesus is fading into the background for them too. And that it's, it's gonna happen even faster when non-believers, or sorry, when non-believers see us arguing over things like cups, right? Instead of fighting against poverty and homelessness. And maybe all on both sides of this silly cup debate are just a little bit afraid. Maybe that's what it is. They're just all fearful that we have to save Christianity, that we have to save Jesus, that we, if we're not fastidious and focused and diligent, that Jesus will just fade away like wall-mounted rotary telephones and VCRs and snowflakes on Christmas. The, the mermaid debate is much harder to redeem. But maybe the same fear is just what's at the root of this cup debate. Maybe we're all just concerned that the Jesus we know and love is fading away. This was the same concern that Pope Pius had in 1925. In 1925, Pope Pius seemed to have some of this angst. 94 years ago, responding to this growing secularism in the world, he instituted what is now called Christ the King Sunday for the church. And it was for this very reason. Jesus is just fading away. It seemed that King Jesus was beginning to just fade from prominence. Jesus seemed to be losing authority and eminence in the world. And people of faith began to wonder and worry that Jesus was going to end up as some relic. Some guy we used to worship a long time ago, but not today. And so Pope Pius declared that everyone in the Catholic Church ought to from 1925 on, celebrate the feast of Christ the King in order to be reminded that Christ is still King of the church, of creation, of you and me, of all that is seen and unseen, and that our sole allegiance lies with him, and that someday, eventually, every knee will bow and call him King. And not much has changed since 1925. We hear the same fears and sadness that Jesus is losing his authority, that if we don't hold on to our snowflake-covered cups, that Jesus will just fade into the background like some sort of relic. This guy that we used to worship a long time ago, this is the fear and sadness and the heart of the anger of Starbucks cups, and this is the fear and sadness behind the anger in Daniel 3. Did you hear it today? This king is afraid he is losing his prominence. If you're here last week, the end of Daniel 3, it ends exactly the same way as the end of Daniel 1. Do you remember? At the end of Daniel 1, he interprets a dream, and king says, Goodness, you interpreted my dream. I can't believe it. I must worship your God, Daniel. Your God is now king of the universe. Who am I? And one mere chapter later, 
One mere chapter later, he's erecting this statue. And this fear, this fear of his imminence, this fear is growing in him. And it comes out in anger, which is interesting because the anger is always masking some form of fear underneath this fear that he's losing his power. And it comes out in anger and he says, I will throw you into a fiery furnace. And I wonder, I wonder what it felt like to be these people, this Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, people connected to Daniel, his friends who have been um, subjugated and culturated into this new place and people and language and identity that was not their own with this God that they never knew or worshipped before and what it felt like to them equally as King Nebi to feel like God's prominence in their life is just fading away. It's fading away. They can't remember. Their, their names have changed, like we talked about. Their names have changed. They, they're not re eating on the same calendar and the same kind of foods they were before. They don't have the same language that united the Jewish people. They, this God is just fading away. And it's interesting the difference between how Nebi responds to that and how they respond to that. And so with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seeking to embody the wisdom of Daniel lived out in the actions of his friends, right? That wisdom, they, in the furnace, they, they enter. They enter the furnace, and something miraculous happens there. They enter the furnace, and standing in the furnace, did you hear it? It burned up the people who put them in the furnace. Them in the furnace, though, another one appears. And people, like, debate this all the time of what this means, that this... There were three men who went into the furnace, and there were four that came out. The anger, the fear masked in anger from King Nebi sent them there, and in the furnace, it's like wisdom took bodily form in there for them. And God, it says this, 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 it only could be, it could only be God. We... We come to this and we hear this, this, this question of, of who do you worship? Nebi says, will you worship me? Will you bow down? And their answer is no. They get thrown into this furnace. And this question of who will you worship we, is a question we are asked all the time as well when it has to relate with wisdom. How are we going to perceive how God's wisdom arrives in our life? rises up in our life in every way that we could use anger to mask our fear. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, seeking to embody this wisdom of Daniel, lived out that wisdom there, and it took bodily form even. We come to a day seeking to live out this wisdom where we, we say we will not be distracted like them. We will not be distracted. We will not allow other kings and other kingdoms to persuade me to forget who I am. And, and we come and we bow down to King Jesus, insisting that Jesus will not fade away, will not fade into our, into our memory. And so we come to a place like this and we say that we can even, Jesus is so real to us that we can even taste and consume Jesus like, like bread and wine. And we come here today like Daniel and his friends to say that it is the fire of God, not the fire of rage, that is really just a sign of sadness and fear. It's the fire of God that has taken residence in us. And we come here to bow to this God and to this king. But here's the thing. 
if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I don't know what to do with this kingly language. We've all watched enough Renaissance movies to know what a king is supposed to do. They are supposed to be powerful and control. Kings that blaze in on white horses into the fire, not just one more person in the fire. The ones that usher um, order out of chaos, that, that come in and, and, and put you on their horse and ride out with you. But then we, we look around and we ask the question, so if Jesus is king, if he's in charge, where is this happening in our world? When we look around the world and we're fighting about cups and we're fighting about mermaids and there are these masses of terrified, malnourished immigrant children and, and detention centers and it doesn't appear like anyone is in charge anymore. It doesn't appear like Jesus is doing anything anymore. And so like Nebi asking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will you bow down to? Which king will you serve? Will Jesus' way and kingship fade back into your background memory like snowflakes on Starbucks cups? And when I think about the story of Daniel, what brings it into clarity for me are two things. I first think about I first think about a story in the Gospels, another story about kingship and who's in power and who will bow down. It's, it's the story of Jesus and Pilate. Remember that story? Pilate, if you remember, asked Jesus, are you king? And Pilate is a Roman governor. He's the one who has, been, who has arrested Jesus and is now interrogating Jesus. And he asked Jesus, are you king? Is it true that you're calling yourself the king of the Jews? And Jesus does something I hate. And he gets all super evasive and noncommittal about that question. He doesn't say he's king. As if he doesn't really want to know, anyone to know that that title would be put on him if he doesn't care about prominence and power at all. Jesus doesn't seem to care about fading away, losing eminence. And then Jesus, not answering the question at hand, starts talking about this kingdom from which he comes. It's not of this world, he says. And Pilate, who seems to be irritated as we are, as irritated as I am, that Jesus is so evasive, says, so are you king or are you not? And in that moment, I want Jesus to rise up with all the control and authority and that burning fire, <laughs> that fury of a thousand suns. When we look at the world so broken and so, so in pain, and we want, all we want that all-powerful Jesus to ride in on his horse into the fire and throw up his sword and take down all of our enemies, real and perceived. And we want King Jesus to annihilate all the things that make us sad and afraid. And we want the world to see him do it. But Jesus avoids the lasso that Pilate tries to throw around him, completely avoids it, the kingly expectations. We try to put on him. He just says, I came to testify to the truth. If you belong to the truth, you'll just listen to me then. And it's like this wisdom takes bodily form. Again, there's this 
There's another one in the fire. That story reminds me of Daniel, but the other thing that reminds me of Daniel is my experience at annual conference being ordained this year. I, uh, as many of you know, the Methodist church is in turmoil and angst, and um, so we gather in a clergy session at the beginning of conference, which is what we do all the time, all the clergy in one room together, and you can feel the angst, you can feel the division, you can feel the anger. We know, they don't know who each other are. The, the people who are voting, the, they're from all these different churches, they don't know who each other are, how each other vote, what each other think about social issues, but the clergy know each other. We know exactly who in the room was, is responsible for the decision of general conference. We know who it is. And you imagine we're all gathering in a room together and, and it's divisive and it's raw and, and I'm one of the 20 people supposed to be ordained this year into a system that we're so confused by and, and, and concerned about and don't know what's gonna happen next. And, and, and so we all gather on stage and um, the bishop, comes by and he's, this is just the time where we, they, we step forward, they vote on us, yes, we approve you to be another, clerk, another full clergy person in the, in, the, in the midst of this order of elder, that, and so we're supposed to be stepping up, but the bishop comes up and he does something that a bishop has never done before. He apparently is one who uh, does calligraphy in his spare time, this is his spiritual discipline, and the bishop, um, makes this for every single one of the ordinance. And he said that this year was particularly the year where we needed to know to whom we submit uh, when we take these vows, what they're not wrapped in, what they're not wrapped up in, all the fire <laughs> here, we needed to know specifically to whom these vows were being, um, being uh, who our allegiance was to who our allegiance was being made to. And so he went around and he handed this to each one of us. And as he went down the line, he read this. This is Wesley's covenant prayer. And so as he read it, um, he, he read it as he walked down the line. And he said, I am no longer my own today. And he'd point at us. He'd say, Michelle, you're no longer your own today. I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what you wilt. Are you ready to be put to what you wilt today? Put me to want what you want. Put me to doing. Put me also to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me know your wisdom. Let me know my own foolishness complete foolishness. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing at all. And as he went down the line in this room that's completely divided, every single one of us just started crying. It just, the, the tears poured. As we knew what this was truly about, what that moment was about was, was not, um, most of us had gotten to a point where we were really convinced we were taking a stand. 
I'm going to be ordained into this denomination as a way to say, I resist whatever you do here. Whatever this is, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing this as a form of resistance, you know? Some of us had already... And then to be able to say, put me to doing and put me to nothing. Let me be employed for you and laid aside for you, whatever it is. So I'm not charging into the fire if you don't want me to charge into the fire, God. I'm not resisting unless you want me to resist, God. This is resistance or it's not resistance. That's not the point. Us being, and this is like wisdom took bodily form in that room that day. There was another one in the fire of that room. You could just sense. You can sense that God was doing something bigger and better than whatever this was. Today, during communion, we're going to sing this song. We're going to sing this prayer in the form of a song. And then the bridge, it says, come like a fire. I had never noticed that song before, how those two were together, until I thought about it in reference to this story in Daniel. Let me be empty, let me be full. Come like a fire. Come. Be the other one in the, in the fire with me. Would you pray with me? God of the fire, of border crisis, of homelessness and poverty, God who enters those places and is there, we, we worship you. God of wisdom, who knows how to enter those spaces with comfort and care. We worship you. God who calls us to be empty and full, we worship you. God who says, let me be employed for you and laid aside for you. And that you said that in the person of Jesus on the cross. God, you are not the one who charges in on the horse into the fire. You are wisdom in bodily form in the person of Jesus coming into our fights and our red cups and our mermaids and our borders and our denominations, and our institutions, and our churches that are failing. And you're the other one in the fire of it. Wisdom embodied bodily form. And we pray together that prayer that you taught us as a way for us to remember whose we are, who we serve, who is king, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.